What are the top ways in which organizations get breached, and what can they do to prevent breaches from happening? Hi, I'm Matthew Schwartz, Executive Editor with Information Security Media Group. And to help me answer that question is Lawrence Dean, Managing Principal of Investigative Response for the Verizon Risk Team. Lawrence, thanks very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Matthew. So with the Verizon Data Breach Investigations Report having just been released, what do you think are some of the top-level findings? What's most new or notable that businesses should be aware of? Well, I think the top-level finding that we've put into this report is that there's nothing really new. It's showing us information that we have seen repeatedly over the last couple of years. So it's one of the things that we're actually presenting widely in the report that things aren't necessarily getting better. The stats are showing the same sort of attacks are happening all the time. Some of the headline things, though, that I can talk about is that we pulled out some information on passwords, and 63% of confirmed data breaches involved leveraging weak, default, or stolen passwords. That's a very high percentage, and that's across the board of all data breaches. A couple of years ago, we also ran some tests on phishing emails, and we did the same thing this year, and we found that almost a third, 30% of phishing messages were opened up from 23% last year, and 13% of the targets went on to open the malicious attachment or link, which is a very similar percentage that we had last year, which was 11%. So phishing is a very big thing that's been a lot of the news, and it's still happening because it works, and people are still getting money for it. The other thing, we're seeing ransomware all the time. That's something else that's obviously been in the media, but it's something that me and my team are responding to on a daily, if not a weekly basis at least, to different companies that are having ransomware attacks. And finally, I would say that we're still seeing vulnerabilities that were published months and even in some situations years ago being targeted, and they're still available for the bad guys to get into your systems. That paints a pretty dire picture of the information security landscape, that we're having these same old, same old flaws really coming back. And phishing, there's been such a lot of discussion about that, and people are falling for it even more by the sound of it. Absolutely. And I wouldn't say it's as dire as what it sounds. I do think that a lot of organizations that we work with are getting better in their security maturity. But I think what we're avoiding as corporations is the awareness training that we need in order to make our employees our first line of defense. And one of the things that we looked at this year is that I think it was somewhere in the region of 3% of people that clicked on a link, notified their bosses that they'd actually done it. So it's not just about teaching them not to click on the link, which is obviously something that we'd love to see happen, but it's about letting them know who to call if they make that mistake and they actually click on it. And actually our focus based on the fact that so many people are doing it is not only awareness, but trying to make your system as secure as possible so if they do get inside, that they can't get that much out because it's almost inevitable that somebody is going to click on a link based on these statistics. Well, and to be fair to people who do click on links, there have been studies in the past that show that even highly skilled people, highly skilled at information security, do sometimes have false positives or click on things they shouldn't because it's not that difficult, I guess, to make a really good looking phishing message. No, absolutely not. I have some personal stories around that. I've had security awareness trainers click on phishing email links. And it's based on the fact that the emails are getting better. The English within the emails is getting better. 
It's not the whole, the Prince of Africa died and I've got a million pounds, but I need you to send me 5,000 to get you the million. It's not like that anymore. You know, those are way gone. I mean, I still see them every now and again in my spam folder, but I don't see a lot of people actually activating those kind of phishing emails. So the phishing emails now are more targeted. They have information about people. They may know what your likes and dislikes are. If you receive a message in your inbox and you're a big fan of a certain sports team and says, hey, we've got free tickets to this, it looks kind of reasonable and you don't pause and think for a second, you can quite easily click that link. And that's one of the messages I try to give to average everyday users is just pause for a second when you see something like that. Think about it. Did you ask for an invoice from DHL? Is somebody sending you a package? What's the really likelihood of somebody actually just giving you free tickets to a football match? Things like that. So pause for a second and think instead of the immediate reactions that we all love. Now, with phishing attacks, you were talking about trying to lock down the environment so that if they do succeed, data doesn't get out. One of the statistics that jumped out at me is how quickly a phishing attack can take effect once the user potentially installs malware. I mean, minutes, right? Absolutely. Yes, it is minutes and it's very successful. And that's why I think we're seeing more and more of these. If you can sit at your computer in the middle of nowhere and send out a thousand phishing messages and within five minutes be in one, two, ten environments because somebody's clicked on the attachment, it's a very good payload for people. And another main thing that we've discussed within the DBIR this year is to reiterate that actually the majority of the motivation is financial for these guys. Like they're just going to do anything that they can to make money. And when I speak to my clients, I've had a lot of people say, well, I've got nothing that's worth anything. But the reality is any business has got value within their documentation, especially their crown jewels. And when I talk about protecting stuff, those are the types of areas that we want to have more protection around. The things that are actually of real value to your business, you need to have as much protection set up around those as possible. And also only allow people access to those types of systems or those types of documents that absolutely need access to it. This is great advice. We've been hearing about least access privilege for a while, crown jewels, guarding those first for a while. Obviously, these are still challenges for a lot of companies. People are still getting owned by malware and phishing attacks. Are you seeing improvements? And are those improvements greater or worse in certain industries? I am seeing improvements. Absolutely, we are seeing improvements. The big industries, the financial industries, those are the guys who you see a lot of improvement around their kind of stuff, especially around the money movements and things like that. We are seeing improvements in that. Retail is getting better, but across the board, my message would be based on the investigations that I'm doing, we are seeing better security around the crown jewels, but we're still seeing people getting into those environments. They may not get the best document that they want, or they may not get access to your entire client list, but they will get access to some of it. And that's kind of what we're trying to make awareness around is people having access to data that they don't necessarily need access to, or also if they do need access to it, making sure that it's in a standard of encryption that if somebody else gets access to their systems, they're not able to just break the passwords and sell that data on the dark net. So it's about risk. And we also are big advocates of 
people being able to do their work. We don't want you to lock down your systems and strip all your links from emails. I've talked about that with a lot of clients. That was one of the things that they thought, well, we'll get rid of all attachments from emails and we'll sort out some other system. But the reality is people need to be able to do work. What our advice is, is try to make it as difficult as possible and try to decrease the detection deficit. I'm sure you probably noticed with the report, the minutes and the days takes people to get into environment and it's still taking us weeks and months and in some situations years to identify that they're actually in there. And the vast majority of the time, it's a third party that's letting you know that somebody's breached your environment, whether that's law enforcement or whether that's a partner, somebody else is actually telling you you've got a problem. So we're trying to make it so that at least you identify that you have a problem and do that as quickly as possible. One of the things that jumped out at me from the report was learning about a breach from law enforcement is way up, third parties is up, and then internal detection is down and fraud detection is way down. It's absolutely scary. And we actually, when we produced the report last year, the detection deficit seemed to decrease based on the data set that we actually had. We obviously put a rider in the report and said, hey, we don't know if this is going to be a new trend. This is the first year we've seen it like this. And as it turns out, it was just a blip in the detection deficit mapping or whatever for the period of time that we were there. And the way that we produce the report, we get data, 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 data up to a certain point. Obviously, then we have to stop collecting that data to do the analysis. And since we've actually used this report, we've looked at the same date range and the detection deficit has actually gone up from information that we've been provided after we had the cutoff date. So it's still down. I think it was 62% is the gap. And it's still down because it's now higher than that. And it historically is higher than that year on year at a sort of 70% average, I would say, which is the time period between the two. So those are things that we absolutely try to work on to get notifications, to have some sort of systems in place so that you know when your files are being altered. Make sure that your systems are patched to make sure that if somebody is in your environment, you know it. Making sure that you've got people who actually are trained to trace these kind of things as well. One question about the report I have. To what extent can we extrapolate your findings to the data breach landscape at large? Do you think you maybe have an unusual number of more security savvy organizations that are working with you? So for example, financial services might be better represented in your data set than some other industries. We have, and we've been asked it several times. I mean, obviously we can only analyze the data that we're provided, but I know we're the largest collection of data breaches that actually do a report anyway. We've had 67 various contributing organizations that provided us information over 82 different countries. And we've analyzed over 100,000 incidents, and we've got over 2,260 confirmed breaches. So when we first did this report back nine, 10 years ago, that was based on four years of Verizon own data breaches that we'd investigated. So four years of our own stuff. In that situation, you would accept that there's a tunnel vision involved in that. But now based on the number of organizations, the type of organizations that are providing us information, we feel like we can provide a pretty good understanding of what's going on in the industry. And we've got people that are competitors of ours that respond to breaches that provide information. We've got law firms, we've got insurance companies, got any type of lots of government agencies provide information to us from around the world. So we like to think we can provide a good 
general scope of what's actually happening in the industry. From an industry by industry perspective, one of the things that jumped out at me were the number of security incidents in different industries that led to a confirmed data loss. The biggest was in financial services, almost 800 organizations or incidents. And then healthcare breaches were also quite notable. Is that surprising to you at all? No, absolutely not. Again, these are two big factors or two very easy ways for the bad guys to make money. They can sell the health information on the dark net and obviously anything they can get from the financial organizations, whether that's actually money, credit card information, information that they can then sell on to other people. I would say it's quite a common trend for those guys to be targeted. And also, we will get a lot of health, the healthcare information because those two, actually both of those, both financial and healthcare, have a duty to report specifically for their industry. So they will report this information a bit better than other industries. In the EU, we've got new regulation that's come into play where all organizations are going to have to report a data breach within a certain time period. We've got probably two years before that actually is in full effect, but certain countries are implementing it straight away. So I do believe that the reporting of information is going to go up and there'll be more information that we can analyze, which is going to be fantastic for the security industry. Definitely. I think Europe is going to wake up and find out it has a data breach problem that it didn't want to think about before. Absolutely. One of the other interesting things for me in the report was the prevalence of ransomware. In terms of infections, I think command and control sorts of functionality or denial of service, backdoor spyware, downloaders were more prevalent, but ransomware is also quite present in a lot of your investigations. Is that a surprise to you? And is that been affecting some industries more than others, can you tell? I would say no, definitely not some more than others. I think it's across the board. And I think probably based on the investigations that I'm doing, so you know the people that we're actually bonding to, I think next year's report, the ransomware will go up a bit, if not a lot, because we are responding to these incidents weekly, if not daily, at least calling the clients and explaining to them the best actions that they can take to protect themselves or to restore their data and those kind of things. Ransomware is definitely on the rise. Obviously, one of those reasons is it's working. It's like fishing. Things that work, the bad guys use. They're just as lazy as the rest of us. They're going to get money in the easiest fashion that they possibly can. And it's not just one person sending out the ransomware. It's a whole bunch of hackers because it's easy money. All they have to do is get somebody to pay them. And a lot of people probably do. Right. That sets up the potential scenario that we've seen with malware, where sometimes malware uninstalls other malware that's already on the system so that the new attackers can better monetize that endpoint. Yeah, one of the great things is it actually happens more often than what you think is we'll go in an investigative environment that will have vulnerabilities patched after the bad guys are in there so that they can protect themselves whilst they're in your environment trying to steal your data so other hackers don't actually get in there. Playing defense, but obviously with some different motivations than the company might like. Absolutely. Well, Lawrence, thanks very much for your time today. No problem, Matthew. For Information Security Media Group, this is Matthew Schwartz. Thank you for joining us.